Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Uh, Let's open our Bibles tonight to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 2, and Brian, I'm missing an iPad here, so... Uh, 2 Samuel chapter number two is where we are, and um, man, I got choked up on the blessings, that song, I tell you, I'm not going to start talking about it right now, because then I'll cry, and we all know what I look like when I cry, uh, it's bad, but um, <clears throat> just, I'm so thankful that God, I, I'm thankful that God gave us, you can bring it up, thankful that God gave us the principles within the word of God of this thought that regardless of what takes place in our life, Romans 8 says that all things can work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful tonight to know that our God um, understands our trials and he often even allows trials to work something greater in our life. And um, I was a youth pastor before, of course, starting the church, a youth pastor at the church that my dad pastored. And we were there for four and a half years And every year we hosted a youth conference, kind of like our Ignite Youth Conference. Our Ignite Youth Conference just one day. Our youth conference was Thursday night, all day Friday, and Saturday morning. It was uh, kind of a day and a half, two days. And uh, one of our themes one year was just called the big picture. And uh, it's kind of burned in my mind, the big picture, understanding that sometimes God sees a bigger picture than we see. And sometimes we look, and I said it the other night, but Jim, we were talking testimonies the other night. Sometimes we look at our puzzle piece, and we look at our life, and we look at, we look at relationship struggle, or we look at the loss of a loved one, or we look at cancer, or we look at, at work struggles, or we look at a family situation. We look at that puzzle piece, and we say, God, this isn't a beautiful puzzle piece. And if you've done puzzles, my grandfather and I would sit and do puzzles uh, for hours at his house. I love doing puzzles with Daddy Doe. That's what we called our grand- my grandpa. But love doing puzzles with Daddy Doe. But you know what? Not every puzzle piece is a beautiful looking puzzle piece. And there's some puzzle pieces that you're like, what is this? Some of them, it's just blank. It's just white or just blue. Some of them, it's just a jumbled mess of colors because of where it fits. You know what? Sometimes we look at our puzzle piece of life. And we look at that situation and we say, God, I don't understand this. This is ugly. God, I don't like this. God, I, this, how does this piece fit in? And yet God says, hey, I see the bigger picture. And I see the beauty of that puzzle piece. And sometimes those blessings, sometimes those not blessings are really his mercy in disguise and him saying, hey, I've got this. I've got you. And I'm thankful for that song tonight. I want to praise the Lord for it. And uh, Sabrina, great job on that. And, and Samantha and Brian, all three of you. But pray for Sabrina, her mom, of course, uh, going through cancer and not doing well right now. And, and you came to Beth's mind. And uh, Beth texted me during the song and said, reminder about that. And, and we're praying for you and praying for your mom in that situation. And uh, I'm going to, what's your mom's first name again? Trish. I, I could not remember for the life of me. I apologize. But praying for that. And uh, we've prayed a lot tonight, but I want to pray again. Dad, would you pray for Trish? Would you do that? Whatever it is she's going through with the cancer and the treatment, 
Father, and yet we do know that in life, Lord, as we go through it, there's a lot of struggles, a lot of things that we don't uh, understand, but we leave it all in your hands, and we're thankful we can do that, and by doing that, it gives us peace, and Father, we know one day we'll have joy to stand before you. I pray right now, Father, that for Shavuot and family, that you give them, Lord, the peace that they need in their life, that comfort they need, and again, that you help their mind, give her strength, give her body, and we'll give you the praise for all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Do pray for her mom and pray for that situation. I know that'd be an encouragement to her. And uh, maybe let her know you'll be praying for her this week and praying for Trish in that situation there. Well, uh, tonight we're jumping back into a series we started just last week in 2 Samuel. And uh, the series called Conquest and Defeat. And I will explain the title again in just a minute. But as we start tonight, we have all been in situations. We've all been in situations where we have felt welcomed. And then we've been in situations where we've felt unwelcomed or perhaps even a little rejected. You ever been there? You ever been in the situation where uh, you know they want you there? You know they want you around. And then you've been in other situations where you know they're like, I just wish they would leave. I just, I just wish they would exit themselves from this conversation. If you've ever been new anywhere, then you know what it feels like to be welcomed or to be rejected. Uh, I remember being brand new at school. And of course, uh, uh, as just a little kid, you know, kindergartners, they kind of all get along. You know, kindergartners don't know that you're supposed to make besties and, and enemies. You know, kindergartners don't know that. So they just, everybody, uh, everybody gets along. But when you get up into junior high and high school, they've learned. They've learned, you know, you don't fit in with me. You're not in my clique. And I remember 10th grade year, my 10th grade year, and I, I might have talked about this before, but 10th grade was the first year I ever went to public school. Went to Christian school, uh, first or kindergarten through, um, let's see, through eighth grade, and then, or through ninth grade, and then 10th grade is my first year in public school. And I'll tell you, I was excited about it. I was excited about going to public school and excited because it was only, you know, like a mile from my house. And I only had, you know, I could get up seven minutes before school started and leave with two minutes before school started and be late. And that was fine. Uh, but it, it was better because the Christian school I went to before was 25 minutes away and you had to leave earlier. And uh, many a days, my dad and I listened to Paul Harvey going to the, going to, uh, to school. But I remember finally starting, yeah, now you know the rest of the story. Uh, sorry. But I remember starting that school and I remember going in and just thinking, man, this is going to be awesome. You know, I thought I was God's gift to people anyway. And so I, I would kind of walk into school thinking, oh, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to, people are going to love me. Craig, it just took a couple of hours for me to realize people don't love me. I'm obnoxious and my sisters were right. And I remember sitting in some of those classes and going through and I remember there were times when I'd be around certain people, and, and you, you have a similar story maybe with school or work, that you get your lunch and you go sit down at that table. And right when, thanks, Veronica. <laughs> and right when you sit down with your food, two or three of the people get up and go to another table. Anybody ever been? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. And I remember that there were times, there were times when I felt like, man, what's going on? Why are you rejecting me? Why, why, why am I unwelcome in this group? Why am I unwelcome at this table? There were other times, though. I remember one, one guy in particular. His name was Paul. He was brand new at the school. And Paul, he was brand new at the school, just like I was. 
And he had already, he had just moved from somewhere in California, I think. And I remember that he, he began to make a few friends and one English class, we were sitting in English and there was a fight in the hallway. I think I've told you about the fight before. It was a fight between this guy named DJ and I don't remember who this guy beat up very badly. But this guy won this fight and I thought, I wanna be his friend. I want him to be my friend. And I remember I was standing there looking out of English class in the hall looking at this fight and Paul was right there next to me and he goes, hey, hey, you're Dennis, right? I said, yeah. He said, I'm Paul. Hey, let's sit together today. Hey, why don't you, and I remember Paul just becoming my friend. And because of Paul, and then I did meet DJ and he did become a friend. I was like, I went up to him one day, totally off subject. I went up to him and I said, hey, my initials are DJ. Your name's DJ. We're like twins. <laughs> and he thought it was funny. And I became, you know, like, I don't, I don't know if I became his friend, but I thought I was. He didn't beat me up. That worked out. But you know what? There were times that year that I felt rejected. But then there were other times and there were people like Paul and, and people like Quincy and people like uh, Mary Claire and people like, uh, like George that I still look to and they're still friends to this day because they said, hey, you can come and you can, you can hang out with us. Hey, come sit at our table. There's a friend, Casey. He watches our services still to this day. Every now and then, Casey jumps on our services. And Casey was one of those guys. Hey, why don't you come? You know what? Every one of us have had times when we felt welcomed and times when we felt rejected. I wanna bring out a simple truth tonight. And that truth is this thought, that in your life, in your life, God is either welcomed or he's rejected. And I'm not just talking about salvation. I'm not just talking about you receiving him. No, the truth is that each and every day you choose to welcome God to sit on the throne of your heart or you choose to reject him from sitting on the throne of your heart. That's only the two responses that we can have to the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the kingship of God. Tonight, we're gonna come back into 2 Samuel chapter number two. The series is Conquest and Defeat. Why is it conquest and defeat? Well, it's conquest, conquest and defeat because it's about the story of David. Man, this wonderful man of God who, uh, who God himself said, he is a man after my own heart. He seeks continually after my own heart. David had a lot of conquest and victories for the Lord. And yet, David was not a perfect man. No, David had his sins and David had those things in his life that were vices and David had a life of defeat as well as conquest. But while the book is a book of conquest and defeat, really the entire book is a book of faith. People taking steps of faith for God. It's a book of grace. Man, God's saying, hey, I'm gonna give grace and I'm gonna give you the strength you need and I'm going to have grace in your life. And then it's a book of mercy. Times when God should have just been like, done, zap, I'm done with you. And yet God said, I'll have mercy. And in your life and my life, we're gonna have conquests, we're gonna have victories, we're gonna have defeat. We should take steps of faith, but thank God for his grace and his mercy. Where we're at in our series, if you were here last week, then you'll recall You'll recall just a, a little bit of the background of where we are. Second Samuel chapter number two, David. 
15 years earlier, he had been anointed king by Samuel. Remember, God had rejected Saul. God had said, Saul, you are not going to be king, but, but we're going to, I'm, uh, I'm going to seek a man after my own heart. And so God said to Samuel, go to Jesse and select one of his sons. And David was the son that was selected. David was the one that was anointed king. He was one of the most unlikely people to be anointed king, and yet he was anointed king. And when you look at this, listen, <clears throat> excuse me, when you look at this, David, he's, a, he's anointed king. This happened 15 years, 15 years before what we read in 2 Samuel. What happened for those 15 years? Well, David was elevated, right? He became a general within the, uh, the armies of Israel. He was elevated. But then after he got elevated, the people began to sing some songs about him. They sang, uh, Saul has slain his thousands, and David, he's slain his tens of thousands. That wasn't true. It was hyperbole. It wasn't true. It was something they just kind of made up to celebrate the victory. But Saul, he looked at it and said, oh, this guy's got to go. He's got to go. He's, he's taken my limelight. He's taken some spotlight off of me. Uh, look, and, and you go read the story. Saul says, they've only attributed to me thousands, but they've attributed to him tens of thousands. My world is crumbling. And because of that, Saul would go on a years-on-end rampage pursuing David. Fast forward. Fast forward all those years later, now 15 years since David has been selected or anointed king. Three times David had opportunity to kill Saul. He didn't. He abstained. He didn't kill him. Three times David had opportunity to take vengeance out and take the, uh, um, the, the uh, responsibility of killing Saul into his own hand, and he didn't do that. Matter of fact, one of the last times David said the words, he said, how can I lift my hand against God's anointed? It's not, and David said, it's not my place. He said, God will have his judgment on Saul, but not by my hand. Saul will die in battle. He'll die of old age, or he'll die from uh, maybe a, a, a disease or something will come and, and get him, but he won't die by my hand. Man, what an, incredible, what an incredible testimony and character that David had to not seek vengeance. Were there times David wanted to? Yes. Were there times David even attempted to? Yes. And yet he didn't. But 15 years later, 15 years later, last week, here's what we found out. Saul finally died. Saul was killed in battle with the Philistines. And there was a young man, an Amalekite, who was raised basically with the Hebrews. And he, he knew the Jewish law and he knew everything. And yet he showed up on the scene. And, and if you'll recall, David, David's still in Philistia. He's still in Ziklag, this place, remember, uh, in, our Samuel, in our series in 1 Samuel, and we re recapped it last week, this place where David had retreated for 16 months. He had really ran from God and got away from God, and yet God used circumstances to get David's attention, and David realized, I'm running from God. And so the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. When he was at one of those lowest points, uh, a point where people were trying to, maybe his own men trying to kill him, and David didn't know what to do, and so he turned his heart back to God and David experienced a, a personal revival. But he's in Ziklag still. 
He's still in Philistia. Here comes this messenger, this Amalekite who shows up on the scene. And David says, where'd you come from? He said, I came from the battle. Well, what, what's going on? What's happening with the people? What's happening with Saul? What's, what's happening with Jonathan? And you'll recall as this young man says, oh, they're dead. The people have fled. The Philistines have conquered Jonathan is dead and Saul is also dead. And this young man, I believe he was expecting, he was expecting a little bit of, uh, uh, of applaud from David. A little bit of, really? Saul's dead? Man, somebody get, this guy's the messenger that brought me the message that Saul was dead. Listen, he's gonna be a general. He, and I really think that that was this Amalekite's goal. And David says to him, of course, they took the whole day. David heard that. They took the whole day and they fasted and mourned for the entire day. Conversation stopped right there. They fasted and mourned for the entire day. Fast forward through that day. The Amalekites probably very surprised, right? He's like, uh, this is not the response I was expecting. At the end of the day, David says to him, from whence art thou? And he said, I am an Amalekite. I am the son of a stranger. An Amalekite. And we looked at that truth last week, the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. He was raised as a Hebrew. He should have known better. That brings us to the very next question that David asked him. Then why did you lift your hand against the Lord's anointed? Weren't you, weren't you afraid to lift your hand against the one that God had anointed? And this young man, thinking that he was perhaps gonna get applauded, uh, he, had this, he had this sin, this glaring sin of, of coming to David and being the one that had killed the, the king, or so he said. And he knew better. He knew better. He knew the law. He knew it wasn't his place. He knew being raised with the Hebrews, he knew what was expected of him. And yet, if you go and you read the story, you find that David says, kill him. Kill him. But last week, really what we took time to highlight was the question, who's your biggest concern? Because remember, David hears that, that Saul dies. and Man, if it's me or you, let, just be honest. If something happens to people that you know who don't like you and that something is kind of bad, the inside kind of goes. <laughs> yeah. You're like, no, it doesn't. Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> yeah. Liar! That's right, Craig. Thank you. Men's Retreat 2018. Liar! That's right. <clears throat> you know what? The truth is that our humanity, our humanity wants to rejoice. Listen, we want to rejoice when bad things happen to people that we don't like. And no doubt, no doubt, David thought the same thing. But David didn't allow that humanity to control his response instead. Instead, David had the response of, man, don't let it get out. Remember the song that David wrote in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, or 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, where David just he, he wrote a song and he said, Hey, don't let the Philistines know. Don't let it be announced in Gath. Don't let the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Why? Because Saul lived like he wasn't anointed. This is going to reflect poorly upon God. And, and David's biggest concern, David's biggest concern was not 
what he got out of the death of Saul, even though now he could become king. David's biggest concern was, this is going to make God look bad. Man, this is going to make God look bad. And he, he wrote that wording that we read last week, how the mighty are fallen. Man, how the mighty are fallen. This once great man of God, and yet he's fallen. David's biggest concern was, was the reputation of God. And I love, I love uh, David's response and, and really understanding that I'm not going to render evil for evil. And Peter wrote about it. Actually, Peter wrote about it quoting David, what David wrote in Psalm 34. Well, tonight we're going to come and we're going to come to this passage in 2 Samuel chapter 2. And we're going to see what happened right after David learns about the death of Saul. And going into this, we need to know two things. Number one, David is still in Philistia. He's still in Ziklag. Number two, David is the rightful king. That's what we need to know tonight going right into this passage. If you, if you miss this, the end of the message might not make sense. So maybe wake your neighbor up right now just for a second. They can fall back asleep until the end. Listen, David, he's in Ziklag, but he is the rightful king. He's the rightful king. Just remember that. He's the rightful king for all of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 2, let's read verse 1 down through verse number 9. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 down through verse number 9. And it came to pass after this. What's the this? David learning about the death of Saul. Came to pass after the, after the segment of events that took place with that. Came to pass after this that David, he inquired of the Lord. He prayed saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, go up. And David said, whither shall I go up? Okay, God, where do you want me to go? And he, God, said unto Hebron. And so David went up thither and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite, and his men that were with him did David bring up every man with his household and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord. Blessed be ye of the Lord that ye have shown this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you. And I also will requite, I will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Therefore, now let your hands be strengthened and be ye valiant. For your master Saul is dead and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. Verse number eight. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, he took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And we're back into weird names like we were last week. And made him king over Gilead, and over the Asherites, and over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, 
and over Benjamin and over all Israel. What do we have in these first nine verses? In the first nine verses of 2 Samuel chapter number two, we have two responses to the rightful king. Two responses to the rightful king. What are the two responses? There's a welcoming and there's a rejecting. There's a group of people that say, yes, you are the rightful king. And there's another group of people that say, no, you won't rule over us. And again, tonight, I wanna ask you, what is your response to the rightful king? Oh, not to David, but to the kingship of God in your life. Tonight, we're going to look at these two responses and then really gonna ask ourselves, what will our response be this coming week? I'd like to pray with you and then we'll jump right into the message. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the services we were able to have. Thank you for how you continue to, uh, to work in our church. And God, I pray that tonight as we look into your word, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would encourage and strengthen us. And then, Lord, as we listen to your word tonight, I pray that you would challenge us into this week, that we would set you upon the throne of our heart. We love you, God. We thank you for your love. Before I close my prayer tonight, why don't you take just a minute in your own heart and just give God permission. God, I give you permission to speak to me. God, I give you permission to speak to me. And then make the decision tonight. God, if you speak to me, I'm listening and I'll respond to you. Lord, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you want to use it in our lives. I pray that you'd use it these next few minutes together to speak into our hearts and into our minds for this week. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you come to 2 Samuel chapter number two, again, we find these two responses to the rightful king. And tonight, I just want to look at these two responses. And first, I want to look at the welcoming a welcoming that takes place. This is found really in verse one down through verse number four by the people of Judah. And as we see this welcoming by the people of Judah in these verses, we look and I just have a, a, few, a few thoughts here that you find in these first few verses. The very first thing I see, and this really doesn't have much to do with the people of Judah, but just David in verse number one. Uh, again, I want you to think about this. David's living in Philistia. He's living in Ziklag. He is the rightful king. So the common sense answer, the common sense answer would be just pack your bags and move back into Judah, right? That would see, it would seem to be common sense. But what does David do? He prays. I'm not gonna preach the message on prayer because we looked at that this morning with Nehemiah. But I love the highlight of prayer that David, listen, this is a man who's finally experiencing revival. And the common sense answer is, I'm the rightful king. I'm in the land of the Philistines. I need to move back to Hebron. I need to move back to Judah. I need to move back to Jerusalem and be the king. And yet we find David asking God, God, is this the timing? God, should I move back? And the Lord says, yes. He says, okay, God, where should I go? And David gets the answer from God, go to Hebron. What I find interesting here, though, is the fact that David is supposed to be the king. He's supposed to be ruling in Israel. I mean, you would want to ask him, David, this is an easy decision. Why, why do you need to pray about this? And I love how one man 
penned it or said it when he said this, the key is not common sense. The key is getting God's mind. You know what? Sometimes you and I, we make answer or we make decisions based upon that which should be or is common sense, and we don't pray about it. Man, we should pray about it. Pray about everything. And we see David praying, God, I I know it makes sense. I know I should go. I know I should do this. But God, what do you want? I love David's spirit of prayer, but I want to kind of skip right over that tonight. And I want to look at the response of the people of Judah. Because here's David coming back in, and just right away, what do the people of Judah do? Well, we, we read, and we just read it a moment ago, they know that it's God's timing, and they knew that David was God's anointed. And so what did they do? They selected him as king. Man, they didn't wait. They didn't say, uh, no, let's think about this. They, they knew this is exactly what God wanted. And they selected David as king. No doubt God had dealt in David's heart. He was dealing in the people of Judah's heart. But what I love about this is this probably was a little surprising to David and his men. You say, why would it be a little surprising? Because if you think about it, who who had been pursuing David with Saul? is all the people of Israel, even people from Judah. If you go back, and we don't have the time to do that, but go back to all the pursuits of, from Saul to David and all the times that it's listed out. Do you want to know who you find listed in there? You find listed in there men of Judah. You find listed in there uh, some of the mighty men of Judah that were pursuing after David. Can you imagine how that conversation went with David and his men? <clears throat> hey, guys, um, I know we've been running for our lives from the people of Judah, but I just received word from God that we're moving back. I just received word from God that it's God's will that we go to those who were our enemies. But what we find is that the the men with David, there's no hesitation. Man, they go. They go back. They move back in and they establish and start the kingdom and David begins to be the, the one to finally rule over the people of Israel. You think about it, David could have got there and he could have shown harsh judgment. He could have gone in and said, hey, you people of Judah, I want every one of you that was my enemy, every single one of you, I want you here right now. Men, take them out. And yet he didn't do that. David went there, I believe this with all my heart as you look at the passage, David went there making a clean slate. Hey, let's forget the past. You guys did side with Saul. Let's forget the past and just to go ahead and anoint me king, let's move forward. And David established his, his kingdom with, with grace and, and in truth. He embraced the people of Judah, and even though they had rejected him years earlier, their response is, we welcome you as king. What a change of mind and what a change of direction. What a kind of a good tune to the story. I mean, here's David been running for his whole life. And finally, David, I can imagine him going, man, all right, finally, man, finally, I'm the king. Finally, 15 years in waiting, finally. They receive him as king. They come to him. The men of Judah, they join with him. They they now are going to fight for him. Everything in their life is totally about embracing the rightful king. So here we see the the welcoming group. Well, if you go to the passage, beginning in verse 
number four, down through verse number seven, the, the men of Judah, they, they go to David and they say, hey, hey, David, the men of Jabesh Gilead, they're the ones who took care of Saul's body. Now, some scholars, they believe that the men of Judah are trying to kind of trying to one up the men of Jabesh Gilead. Hey, David, we're devoted to you, but they're still devoted to Saul. But I don't know if I lean that way. I think that they're just kind of saying, hey, man, we know that you respected Saul. We know that you never lifted your hand against him. And the men of Jabesh Gilead, they, they still, they took care of Saul. And you can go and highlight the blessings that was highlighted about them in 1 Samuel chapters 30 and 31, the last two chapters of 1 Samuel. And so the men of Judah, they say, hey, the men of Jabesh Gilead, they, they took care of Saul. And you know what David does? He sends word to Jabesh Gilead. You remember those? That was that group that, that Saul had saved years and years earlier. Saul had saved them from being overrun by another group. And then when, uh, when things got bad, they stood with Saul. I mean, these were people that were devout to the king. And David sends word, him as the rightful king, he sends word to them. Hey, Judah's made me king. Northern, Northern kingdom, men of Jabesh Gilead, why don't you make me king? Now, here's what we need to understand. Judah's the southern kingdom. Israel's the northern kingdom. Judah's to the south, Israel's to the north. Jabesh Gilead is north. Judah, Hebron, is Hebron is, is down south. And so David's trying to join the two groups together. And he sends them word. And they receive word, man, finally. Finally, we have the rightful king to sit on the throne. The men of Judah were welcoming. But I want you to see the what took place next as you move on to verse number eight. Because verse number eight starts with two words, but Abner, but Abner. Who is Abner? Abner, well, he was the son of Ner. Don't you see it right there? That's who Abner was. Well, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Well, who else was Abner? He was a captain of, of Saul's host. He was the general. He was the main military leader for, for Saul. He was the captain of Saul's host. What did he do? Well, we just read the verses a minute ago. He took Ishbosheth, the weak son of Saul, and he made him king. And in verse 8 through 11, we read that that's exactly what Saul does. And uh, he goes and he makes Saul, um, look at verse, uh, let's see, Ishbosheth's son. Verse number 10, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. He reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So here you have for five years, for five years, Jabesh Gilead and the northern kingdom, they couldn't make up their minds. But then Abner comes on the scene and says, hey, 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 let's select Ishbosheth. Let's select this, this weak son of Saul. You know what, Abner, you know what verse number eight, the two words give us is that rejecting that took place. But Abner. Hey, I want you guys to select me as king. Judah did, Jabesh Gilead. Why don't you guys do it? Abner goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, no, 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 no. I'll help run this thing. Abner says, no, 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 I'll select the new king. Those two words, but Abner. And what a, what a verse. We find here that Abner, he's trying to manipulate and scheme. And next week, we'll look at Abner's character in all of chapter number three. 
But you look and you find Abner, he's trying to uh, take the kingship right out of David's hand. He, he's trying to fight against the, the rightful king. He makes Ishbosheth the, the king, but Abner knew better. If you went and you rehearsed Israel's history or David's history, excuse me, Abner knew the same things about David that everybody else knew. Abner knew that Samuel had selected David as the next king. Abner knew that God had said to Samuel, make David the next king. Abner, he, he knew all that David had done. As a matter of fact, 1 Samuel chapter 17, when David comes back from slaying Goliath, carrying Goliath's head, you want to know who escorted that 17-year-old boy to the king? Abner did. Years later, who sat on the council with Saul, Jonathan, and David? Abner did. Listen, Abner knew. He knew that David was the rightful king. He knew David's position as given to him by God, but Abner was selfishly trying to maintain control over the throne. And so what did he do? He set up Ishbosheth, the, the weak son of Saul. And really what, what he did was he set up Ishbosheth as the puppet king. That's what he did. And for two and a half years, Abner was the authority. For two and a half years, Abner was really calling the shots, so to speak. So what do we find here? Well, it's a rejecting. Abner knew who the rightful king was, and yet Abner is, is rejecting him. And as I said, we will learn about Abner next week, but what we need to know this week is that he was a very arrogant man. Abner was a very, very arrogant man. Abner was always concerned about his image. You can go into the research. He was always concerned about how people viewed him. Even in our story, in a little bit, we're just going to see very briefly him killing Asahel, the brother of Joab. And before he killed Asahel, he said to him, hey, this is going to look bad on me. That's what he said to him. Hey, turn around. How, how will Joab perceive me if I kill you? He was always concerned about himself. What a horrible leader. And what a horrible man in this passage to deny and to lead the people of Israel to deny the rightful king that God had established. Abner did not have the good of Israel in his mind. He did not have the good of God in his mind. You know who was on Abner's mind? Himself. Abner was thinking about one person and one person alone, himself. He rejected the rightful king and he led others to do the same because of his own pride and his own self-will. So we have tonight a welcoming of the rightful king, Judah. They embraced him, a rejecting. Abner leads the, uh, many of the northern tribes to reject the rightful king. But I want you to notice lastly tonight the outcome. The outcome. What, what happened for those who welcomed and what happened for those who rejected now, we're not going to read the entire chapter. I would encourage you tonight when you get home, it would probably take you maybe two and a half minutes, three minutes to read the rest of the chapter. We're just going to bounce around and catch a couple of highlights. Notice verse number 12. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, they went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, and the one on the one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, 
So now you have Abner, the leader of Ishbosheth's armies, and Joab, who would be the leader of David's armies. Very quickly, David, uh, David's cousin was Joab. Joab had three brothers, uh, uh, Asahel, Abishai, and Joab, the, the three of them. So two brothers and himself. So now Abner and Joab are meeting. What do they say? Well, they say this, let the young men now arise and play before us. And Joab said, let them arise. Well, what does this mean? What are they doing? Basically, Abner says, hey, instead of us going to war and a lot of lives being lost, you select 12 of your best people. I'll select 12 of my best people. Let's let them fight and whoever wins will be the victor. Joab says, okay, let's do it. Now, Abner, he's thinking, man, I've got the most valiant men. (laughs) All they have is people from Judah. And so the 12 men, 24 men go out and begin to fight. And something incredible takes place. The Bible says that each of them simultaneously killed each other. It says that they literally grab the head of the other person and thrust their hand, uh, thrust the sword in and they all, all of them drop dead. That's incredible. All these valiant men, they're all dead with the thrust of one sword. Well, what transpired after that is amazing because the men of Judah begin to pursue the men of Israel. One of those men, Asahel, the brother of Joab, takes off after Abner. He's ch- now, Asahel, he was a runner. He's known for being a runner. I almost said he's known for being a gazelle. Yeah. He's known for being a runner, and so Asahel, he is running after, after Abner. Notice what happens. It says there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner, he was beaten. And the men of Israel before the servants of David, and there were three sons of Zariah there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as light of foot as a wild roe, and Asahel pursued after Abner. And in going, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. He is pursuing him, and he is not going to let up. If you were to go and read verse 18 down through the end of the chapter, what you discover is Abner says to him, hey, Asahel, turn around, man. Hey, don't chase me. I'm a man of war. You're just a young young adult. He's probably just maybe in his 20s or 30s. Hey, you're just a young man. What are you doing? Don't do this. Hey, I don't wanna kill you. It'll look bad. Joab Joab will be mad at me and I respect him. He respects me. This isn't a good deal. And Asahel kept pursuing him. And Abner turned and kills him. Well, that sparked vengeance in Joab. And literally, for the rest of Abner's life, which we're gonna see next week, wasn't very many more days or years. For the rest of Abner's life, Joab just sought out vengeance. I'm gonna kill you for killing my brother. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Judah lost 20 men, Israel, who had rejected the king, lost 360 men. Judah, who had followed David, they they left this battle victorious. And David's kingdom 
began to get stronger and stronger. As a matter of fact, 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse number 1 says this, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David waxed stronger and stronger. The house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. When you come to 2 Samuel chapter 2, when we see the welcoming, we see the, the rejecting, but the outcome was wars and death. The outcome was loss of life and heartache that continued. The outcome was frustration that was continued. And as I look at the outcome, I can simply see this, that the outcome was avoidable. Man, the outcome could have been avoided. Abner, you did not need to kill Asahel. Abner, you didn't need to lose 360 men. Abner, your men did not need to go to war. Abner, hey, the things did not need to go this way. Well, what was the solution? Abner, you should have just received the rightful king. Abner, you should have just set the rightful king upon the throne of, of Israel. What I want to point out is the results, not necessarily that Judah had, but I want to point out the results that Abner had and, the, and Israel in rejecting the kingship of David. Because in the end, and next week we're going to discover that David finally does become king overall. Judah finally does celebrate and Abner ends up dying. And all of it could have been avoided if they had just brought David in to sit on the God-given throne. The results of not allowing the rightful king to sit on the throne affect more than just one person. Abner was the leader in it. Hey, no, 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 Ishbosheth, let's get him because I want to be the puppet. I want to be the king. He's going to be my puppet. I'll be calling the shots because I'm concerned. Me, 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 me. And Abner's decision affected an entire group of people. So I want to close and I want to bring this down just to us tonight. And I want to ask you a question. The question's very simple for you to think about. It's this, who will be on the throne of your heart? Hey, who this week will be on the throne of your heart? You say, Pastor, what, what do you mean by this? Where we started every single day, you and I have opportunity to reject God as king in our life, as Lord in our life, or we have opportunity to welcome him. Oh, I'm not talking about salvation. No, salvation is that decision we make to put our faith and our trust in him and receive him as savior. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about who's your Lord. I'm talking tonight, who's the one who calls the shots in your life? I mean, tonight, God, if he is your savior, he is the rightful king of your life and of your heart. And I wonder who's gonna call the shots this week. Who's gonna sit on the throne of your heart this week? Who's gonna make the decisions this week? Just as Judah and Israel had to choose to welcome or to reject the rightful king, you and I, every day, we must choose to welcome or to reject the rightful king. And the truth is, if we're not allowing the right king to sit upon the throne of our heart, people get hurt and lives still get ruined and still get wrecked. No one wins when we don't embrace the rightful king and allow him to sit on the throne of our heart. Abner, because of pride, because of selfishness, he rejected the king. And the same is true in our lives, that we often reject the rightful king to sit upon the throne of our decisions and of our heart because of pride and selfishness. Abner knew better, and we often know better. 
And yet, because of pride and because of selfishness, we want to rule in our own heart. We want to make our own decisions. We want to have the say. We want to be in control. We want to call the shots. And so we reject the rightful king. I just want to say tonight, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, he is already, already he is the the rightful king. It is the God-given position in your life and in my life. And what we do is we just reject him of his rightful spot. And when you take him off of the throne of your heart, you're simply becoming an Abner. You're becoming an Abner. I'm becoming an Abner when I do that. Why? What am I doing? I'm not allowing the king to have his rightful throne. I'm calling the shots. I'm making the decisions. And the truth is that this week, every day, you and I are gonna make the choice. Who's gonna sit on the throne? And so tonight, I wanna close with this thought. Welcome the rightful king. Man, this week, know that he's the rightful king of your life. And welcome his guidance every day. Welcome his kingship tomorrow morning when you wake up. Welcome his kingship when you go to make decisions this week. Welcome his kingship when you go and speak in that relationship and in your marriage. Welcome his kingship as you lead your children. Welcome his kingship as you go to work this week. Welcome his kingship as you make decisions as to the direction that your week is gonna go. Welcome his kingship when you get in the car and go home tonight and that person cuts you off. Welcome the kingship of God into your life. Why? Because he's the rightful king. And things never go well when we don't embrace the rightful king. I don't know anybody in here that would say, no, no, there was one time, there was one time, uh, God was telling me one thing and I did what I wanted and it totally worked out. I don't know many people that do that because every one of us know, oh, it doesn't end up in 360 people dying. I hope it hasn't ended up that way. It doesn't end up in, in death and all of that. But every one of us know there have been times in our life when we have rejected him from sitting on the throne of our heart because of pride. And at the end of the day, we go, man, man, I messed that one up. Man, I can't believe I, man, I. And so tonight I wanna encourage you. Welcome the rightful king this week. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.